Let us pray. God, we thank you for this chance to be in worship, to gather on this weekend with friends and family in our community of faith. And Lord, as you always desire to speak into our hearts and our minds and our lives, Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and minds and lives now in this moment. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, I'm starting kind of a new series. For four weeks, we will do different parables. Parables, as I described in children's time, are stories that Jesus told. These stories are very powerful because in these stories, there are so many meanings. There are so much to hear and see and experience in all of these stories. In fact, like much of scripture, when you read these stories, in each and every season, as God speaks to you, you might see or hear or experience something different. And so it's true with the parables. As I read this, this time, I saw and heard some things for the first time. And so I encourage you to kind of follow along as we wrestle with this scripture. This is a well-known parable, the parable of the talents here. It describes bags of gold. And these bags of gold, these talents, are meant to represent several things, which I'll talk about a bit later. But starting at verse 14, what we have here is a man who's going on a journey. We don't know where he's going, why he's going, but we know it's urgent. And so he's picking up and leaving. And so he's taking everything he has, his financial resources, and rather than, you know, hide them, he's giving them, he's entrusting them to his servants. He's giving them to his servants. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's not necessarily theirs to keep, but he's entrusting it to them hoping that they will do something with it. It's a bit of test of their stewardship, of their gifts, and it says in the scripture that he gave according to their giftedness, according to their talent, perhaps according to how much he could trust them, knowing what they might be able to do with it. Interestingly enough, as I was reading this, you know, we don't always know what this means financially, but the best that scholars can guess that this one bag of gold, probably what that would be worth in our culture, the equivalent in our culture would be around a million dollars or so. And so it's no small thing that this, that this master, with no details that we know of, has given this, this money to his servants and entrusted them to do something with it. And you know, Jesus always tells these stories for the whole audience. He tells the stories for the religious people that are listening on and judging his every word. He tells it for the crowds who really know nothing about who he is or what this kingdom of God is about. He tells it for his disciples so that they can continue to learn and grow. He tells it for us, his church, the world for years and years to come. And I wonder, even in telling this to his disciples, perhaps he was foreshadowing a bit for them, preparing them that he too would be going on a journey and would be leaving them and entrusting to them his ministry that would become the church that we have today. And so this man goes on this journey. And these men have these bags of gold, these gifts from God. And I thought a lot about this because these gifts are meant to represent something. This is not just a story about money. They're meant to represent something. And so I thought of five things that this could represent, five things that these gifts could represent for us and our lives in the here and the now. 
The first, of course, are our relationships, that we are gifted with relationships. Our family, our friends, our, those we work with, our acquaintances, our neighbors, strangers, mentors from near and afar, that one of these gifts that God has given us are relationships. A second gift that God has given us, of course, is our time. Some days there seems like there's an abundance time, and other days, most days, seems like there's not enough. But our time is, in fact, a gift from God. And we'll talk about what these gifts mean. And, of course, these gifts refer to our treasure, our financial possessions, our material objects, those resources that we have been blessed with that God has given us, not just for our amusement or comfort or enjoyment, but that we might be blessed to bless others. And so we've been given our treasure, our relationships, our time, and our treasure. And fourthly, we've been given talents, those things that maybe genetically or naturally or by effort or all of the above that we are good at, those, those things that we can do well. And those talents, like our time and our relationships and treasures, are to be not just consumed, but to be used. They're gifts that God wants us to take something and do something with, as this story tells us. And finally, there are spiritual gifts, which are a little different, and I'll talk about that. Those gifts outlined in Scripture that God has required that the church have an experience in order to be the church. But like all of these gifts, they're not just for the church. For the greater community as well because if we just take the gifts we've given any of those gifts and use them just for us for our circle for our church and not for our community in the world we have missed the point and that's a little bit of what this story is about and so in verses 16 through 28 the bulk of this passage we see the three characters we have the two the one who's been given Five bags and two bags. Obviously, these two, the, the, the master believed and trusted that they would take these gifts and use them for good. And then we have the one here who's been given this one gift. He was afraid. Maybe he was afraid of the lack of the master's confidence in him. Maybe he was afraid that he would lose it. Maybe he didn't trust himself. Maybe he didn't trust his track record. And so he went and he hid the money for rather losing it. Like we often take our gifts and hide them for fear that somebody might notice them or they might draw attention to us or we might fail at using them. And it's interesting because we hear the response of the master. To the two, there's a celebration. It's in those passages, there's an exclamation point with these sentences. There's great joy. Well done. I want you to celebrate, share in my happiness. You have used what you have been given. And to the one, a harsh rebuke. You wicked and lazy servant. Why not just put it in the bank? Let somebody else do something, for you have wasted what you have been given. I want to focus on those last two gifts that I talked about our talents and our spiritual gifts for our time. And, you know, the talents, again, those are those things that we perhaps may be genetically or naturally good at, those skills that we develop that are meant to be used for us, for the church, and for the community. All of these gifts 
are meant to be used for that. And so we have these talents. And, you know, I like to use real-life examples, and I have permission to do this. And so, you know, for example, Jessica, one of Jessica's talents is fixing things. As long as it's not a computer, Jessica can fix anything. Broken, destroyed, not functioning. Jessica is incredible at fixing things. So when something breaks in the house, the toilet goes wrong. It's not me, God help us. It's not call a plumber, it's get Jessica. Kids, get your mom, the toilet's broken. Because Jessica has this ability to fix things, and I do not. If I were to be in charge of fixing things, not only would that not work, but they would be likely to be more broken. And there might be very unholy moments and unhealthy moments in the household in between. (laughs) That weeping and gnashing of teeth that we hear about in this passage. And so, this is one of Jessica's talents. Now, God gives us the gift of marriage so that we can help one another. And so one of my talents, growing up with a dad who is an EMT and and all those things, uh, has to do with the medical stuff. That when, you know, the kids are hurt and somebody's got a concussion or somebody's head is bleeding profusely or there's a scratch or a broken limb or an arm's hanging off, no problem, I got this. That in those situations, whether it's super gluing someone back together or taking stitches out, I do all right. I feel comfortable and do pretty well, and nobody has died yet. There is no weeping and gnashing of teeth. But this is not Jessica's gift. When one of the kids is injured or hurt, we say that she kind of becomes the second patient in the house. In the case of the one weekend two years ago when the two children collided, injuring each other, the third patient, And that is not her gift. But this beauty of marriage is that God gives us all these talents. The beauty of the church is that God gives us all these different talents. That the beauty of the community is that God gives us all these talents. And they're not just for my family, not just for us. They're meant to be used for the church, for the community, and for bringing about the kingdom of God, making God's dream a reality in this world. And so we all have those things that we're good at. We all have those talents. And so what are your talents? How do you use them for the church, for the community, and for the kingdom? And then, of course, there are spiritual gifts. They're a little different than talents. Sure, they can be developed, and like talents, they're given by God. But these spiritual gifts are things that are listed in the Scripture, you know, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, these spiritual gifts that God has given the church for the church to be what God has called it to be. Things like pastor and teacher and encouragement and intercessory prayer and hospitality. Like I said, they can be developed over time, but these spiritual gifts are given directly for God to use in the church, and the church to function well together needs these gifts. But again, they're not just for the church, they're for our family and the community and the good of the kingdom. And so for me, my primary spiritual gift is discernment, to be able to see and understand, not perfectly, I'm human, I get in God's way all the time, but to see and understand and read people and situations and and try and really see and understand where God is speaking and where perhaps maybe it is not of God and to try and use that to the best of my ability to help myself and others in the church and the community do and be what is right. 
Now, one of Jessica's spiritual gifts, perhaps her greatest spiritual gift, is hospitality. She is beyond a great hostess because the gift of hospitality goes beyond being able to host and welcome people, that your very presence is welcoming and nurturing and caring, that you make the, the unwelcome feel welcome, that you're able to welcome in the stranger without any difficulty. And so Jessica has this gift of hospitality, which is good for me, and it's good for everyone else that she can engage and help people feel welcome and welcome folks into the kingdom of God. It's not always good when we have a customer service issue because she's too nice. So that's where the guy without the gift of hospitality comes in. But this gift of hospitality is so important to every place that we've been and we've served. And these spiritual gifts, just like our talents, our time, our treasure, our relationships, are not just so that we might feel blessed and experience the love of God. They surely are for that. But it's about the church and the community and the kingdom of God. You see, this story is not so much about how much each person was given or how much we're given. Certainly, we can look at other people's talents and their resources and be jealous or look at ours and celebrate. But it's about how we use them. The point of this story, perhaps the biggest point of this story, is the effective use of the gifts we've been given. The effective, faithful, trusting use of the gifts that God has given us. And so often we're like this one who's afraid to use them, whether out of fear of failure or burnout or judgment. We are afraid and we hide these gifts and we don't get to use and see and experience all that God has for us. But we are blessed to be a blessing. It's that simple. That everything we have comes from God. This notion that we work for it, yeah, sure we do, but without the God of the universe who provided us the ability to work and all the resources that create this income and this, these gifts and these talents that we have, it all comes from God. Not from college, not from the treasury department, but from the God of the universe. And there's a purpose so that we can experience God's love and grace so that we can be blessed to be a blessing. And so we're meant to use these gifts for the good of our family, for the good of the church, for the good of the community and the world. It's all about these effective use. And so he goes on, verse 29. I want you to look at verse 29. This is important. God gives us a dose of reality. You know, I've been accused of being an idealist, and I'll take that accusation most days. But one, one, one thing I want to point out is, you see, these words of Scripture are not just an ideal that we shoot for that makes us feel good in church or gives us some comfort. That's fine. But this, these scriptures, these words are meant to change us. This is what God's desire for the world is. When we talk about the kingdom of God, which is God's dream for the world, these words are the reality that Jesus wants for the world for us. It's not just a nice notion to contemplate on so that our Sunday nap perhaps is a little more peaceful. These words are meant to change us and transform us. And it says, For whoever has will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What is this about? God gives us gifts. And when he sees people who use their gifts for the good of the church and the kingdom, who trust God with what they've been given, he gives them even more gifts. And as they use them, he gives them even more gifts to a point of abundance. 
And for those who shy away, again, whether out of fear or selfishness or insecurity or lack of recognition and, and don't use those gifts, even those will be taken away, you see, because God gives us this stuff, all these things we have for the good of the world, for the good of the people that he loves. And so God is going to continue to give the gifts to those who are going to use them for good. I've seen this over and over and over again around me and in my own life. And what God desires for us is a life of abundance. But that life of abundance only happens when we use the gifts that we've been given. And so this is the reality. And when we don't, when we waste those gifts, and we can all think of people who have wasted their gifts, people who've had financial resources and blown through them for nothing, people who've had great talent in our, you know, celebrities and people in our culture, people that we know who have had great talents and they've gone and they've wasted them. This phrase, perhaps one of the strongest phrases in all of scripture, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, so painful is the pain and the rejection and the hurt we experience when we waste what we have been given. You see, it's not just God telling us, use your gifts or else. It's God saying, use your gifts Two reasons. One, that's what they're for. Well, three, really. One, that's what they're for. Two, if you use them, you will be given more. But three, if you want an abundant life, a full life, if you want to experience true health, emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially, it's in using these gifts. But if you don't, if you waste what you've been given, weeping and gnashing of teeth, great pain and suffering, and if you've seen someone waste what they have, you've seen this. All that said, I want to focus on one thing right here in the last couple moments. It's in verse 21 and verse 23. It's a simple phrase, six words, perhaps six of the most powerful words in all of Scripture in this guy's opinion. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if you haven't figured it out already, I'm a passionate guy, and I'm pretty driven. I'm focused, and I like to get things done, and I like to accomplish things. But these words, these six words, stir up in me some things mentally and emotionally that other words never can. This well-done, good, and faithful servant. You see, I'm gifted. I have an amazing family. I am able to do and experience way more than most of the people in the world. I've been given so much, so many people that love and care about me, treasure so that I can have a home and a vehicle and these other things, talents, well, maybe one or two of those, some spiritual gifts that I can use for the good of the kingdom and time that can be made great use of. And I'm thankful for all this stuff, and I love this. And I love being able to be a part of the ministry of the church in the world. And I love my family. And I care deeply about making things matter and making my life count. But I'll tell you right now, all that stuff, as good as it is, doesn't matter as much as these six words. Not to me. You see, when I come face to face with Jesus in all his glory, when whether it's because of Jesus' return or whether it's upon my death that I come to see Jesus face to face for the first time. I'm excited. I'm excited about the glory of heaven. I hope a lot of things taste like pumpkin. I hope, I hope and pray that there is a lot of football. And God help me, I hope that I am skinny. 
But all of that stuff aside, it doesn't matter. Because my biggest hope and prayer in the midst of all the questions, in the midst of everything I can think about and dream of in this world and beyond, are those six words. That when I come face to face with Jesus, that I have lived my life in such a way that I've taken every gift I've been given into the best of my imperfect ability. I've lived and worked and served and operated in such a way that when I come face to face with the one who created me, when I come face to face to the one with the one who hung on the cross and died for my sins, that above all else, there's going to be no greater joy for me than if I'm able to look God in the face and simply hear those six words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because at the end of the day, all the good, all the bad, and everything in between, none of it matters to me like this. We've got one shot here on earth to take what we've been given, to make the most of it, to live in a way that is different, to take all that we've been given and to use it with all that we've got. Because this story is not about what we have, it's about what we do with it. What are we doing with what God has given us? Are we, not, it's not my success as a parent, it's not my kids' success as adults, it's not my success or failure in ministry, it's about being a good and faithful servant. Those three things, good and faithful servant. And nothing makes me go. Nothing gets me as excited. Nothing gets me out of bed, gets me moving, gets me working, gets me living like the notion that these six words bring, what these six words stir up in my heart, that for all that God has given me, for all that God has done for me, for Jesus hanging on the cross and dying for my sins, that I would live in a way over and over again in each and every moment that I can muster the strength to do so. Well done, good and faithful servant. For me, not much else matters. And that doesn't have to be so for you. That's your call. But I will tell you, that's where abundant life is found. And I will tell you that this scripture tells us we have our gifts for a reason. And those who have been given gifts and use them for good will be given more. And so my hope and prayer is that one day, when I finally get to meet Jesus, if I'm even able to contain my joy, that the first thing I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. May we live our lives in such a way that we recognize how blessed we are, and may we recognize all the gifts we have and use them for the good of our family, the good of our church, and the good of the world, so that one day, when Jesus returns, we've done all we can to make his kingdom dream a reality on this earth. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these words and for the gifts that you have given us. Lord, help us to recognize what we have and to use it for not just our own good and comfort, but for the good of others, for the good of your church, 
and for the bringing about of your kingdom dream in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.